0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, yeah, it is amazing to be back. Um, And uh, Julie and I, I can't get this to work. Help me, Lord. There we go. Technology. Why use technology? Because it's great. That's why. Um, but um, it's great to be with you. Great to see you all today. Um, I love being with you. It's such a privilege to be able to come into the house of the Lord with you, to see your faces. And last week was really cool because, um, well, not because I had COVID, but because I got to watch our volunteers Literally lead the entire thing, which was amazing. So, thank you for that. Um, Thank you for Praise Team, Michael Walters, Marissa Fitzpatrick. Oh, I'm missing a bunch of people, but uh, thank you, Jimmy Land, for preaching a great message. And uh, so grateful for that. Um, So, you never know. You might get a call on Saturday, hey, you're up this week. You know, you just never know. Uh, So, uh, so grateful for people to step in and for God to use them. You know, one of the great joys in ministry is to see people take the next step with the Lord. And what a great way to take a next step with the Lord when the pastor says, hey, we're all sick, can't make it. Um, but it's awesome to see. because It shows us that God is actually at work in your lives. And he's raising you up to do amazing things. So, so grateful for that. Grateful for the worship today. Loved here in Jean and Keisha and Marissa and Philip. And um, it's great to, to be on this journey with you. We're in the book of Acts and we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. In a little while, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so as you hear this message, hopefully we'll prepare your heart for this, because this is not a rote ritual. This will not save you. As a matter of fact, if you're not already walking with Jesus and been baptized, you need to just leave these elements here and please stay in your seat. Because this is about those who are all in with Jesus Christ. And that's the title of the message today, All In. It's come from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. The the word all in, that phrase, is kind of comes from gambling, I'm sure, but it's really become more of just put your chips in the middle of the table and bet on this hand. It's pretty much any time you say, I'm I'm absolutely committed to whatever it is that's happening here, right? I'm all in. I'm all in on an investment. I'm going to give all I have to Bitcoin and lose everything I own, right? I'm all in on this stock. I'm all in on a relationship, maybe. You know what? I, I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to see if this relationship is going to work out. The phrase goes to a lot of places in our culture. One of the things that happens, a good example is when you get in an Uber or a taxi. right? You get in the car, and when they shut the door, they get to do whatever they want. You are all in, and they take you, hopefully, to your destination. Now you could sit in the back, and you could start telling them how to drive. They love that. People love that when you sit in the back seat and tell them how to drive. Maybe you're one of those people, you have a hard time letting go, and you're like, hey, turn here, turn there, go faster, go slower, take this lane, take that exit. Makes it more dangerous, I think. Really, probably the greatest example of being all in is getting on an airplane. Do you ever just hesitate before you cross into that threshold? and you see the skin of the plane that's going to be at 30,000 feet, however cold it is, and you think, this is all that's between me and death right here, the skin of this plane. When you step on the plane, you are all in. You are trusting your life to two guys or two ladies that you've never met. You don't know if these people have been trained, right? You're trusting that they have. You are all in when you get on an airplane. And there's some other ways that we're all in, but... You know, you can't fake it being all in on an airplane, right? You can't, like, be partially in. That would be death, wouldn't it? You know what? I don't really want to get all the way in. I'm just going to hang out here on the door. Let's see how that goes. You can't really do that, can you? But there are some things in life when you can kind of fake being all in. And one of the the most easiest ones to do is when you say, you know, I'm all in on this new diet. I'm absolutely going to do this diet 100 20% Twenty percent of the time, right? I'm gonna do a part of the time. No, if you're all in on a diet, you're saying I'm gonna do it all the time. Maybe you're you're gonna do intermittent fasting, and you're only gonna eat from you know noon to eight or eleven to seven or whatever. But man, you get hungry in the middle of the night. You're like I'm all in, but man, I'm hungry. And I'm thinking those donuts look pretty doggone good, and that would just really get me through the night if I just had a dozen. I mean, one donut. And you tell everybody, I'm intermittent fasting, and you are, except not all the time, right? Not every day. And that's how we are sometimes. We make a commitment, and then we pull something back. We make a commitment to do something, to be a part of it, but we kind of of pull it back, because we're like, I just don't know if I can do that all of the time. And that's what we're talking about today. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 512, we're going to talk about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, if you know the story, don't check out, because if you know the story, you're probably thinking, I would never do that. That's something somebody else might do, but it's not me. I would never do that. God would never strike me dead because I didn't No, that's not that's not me. Listen, when you read the Bible, always assume that it's about you right always assume that the lesson that god is wanting to teach the, the standard he's wanting to set that it applies to you because acts really sets the table for the entire rest of the church of church history it sets the table for how god feels about certain things and what the tendency of people really is so let's look acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 32 the word of the lord says this And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What happened to you when you received the gift of salvation? What what actually was that like when you responded to the pursuit of Jesus and you you had this sense of I I need to repent and and I want to receive this gift of salvation I want Jesus to pay for the sin that I could never pay for I, I want him to his spirit to come into my life that's something like that should have happened to you if you're a follower of Jesus I have received something from him and in light of that, I, I'm giving my life, I'm trading my life for his, and I'm inviting him to live through me. That's, that's kind of the broad strokes of what should have happened to you. But for some people, it was more like instead of a complete all-in situation, it was kind of an addition to your life. And maybe it was like, hey, you know, what's another certification? You know, I know CPR, you know, I've got a BS degree, and also, you know, I trusted Jesus. It's kind of an addition to your life rather than being your entire life. As long as people perceive Christ that way, they say, "Oh, well, I want that, but I, I don't want to change my life, I just, I just want to add Jesus to my life. And that really becomes more of an inoculation than an actual cure an actual transforming event. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to say, "Man, I, I think I just, I just thought I would just add Jesus rather than give my life to Jesus, rather than allow Him to change my life. See, as, as a church, we try to advise people and interpret what God is doing to help them understand. It is just a prayer, but it's a prayer that says, Jesus, you, you have it all. Because following Jesus is really, it's that, it's all in. Because if you're not all in, you're not in. Right? If you're not all in, you're not in. Jesus said to the rich man that's Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18, he came to him, he said, Jesus, what are the rules? And I hear this every now and then. Someone said, you know, what are the rules for following Jesus? And what they really want to know is what kind of stuff do I have to stop doing? Or how do I need to change my life in order to follow Jesus? And I love Jesus' response. He said, Well, you need to keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. There's one more thing that you lack. All that you own, you need to sell and give the money to the poor and come follow me. The man said, no thanks. And he walked away. And you look at that story and you say, well, Steve, that's not what Jesus said to everyone. No, not in those terms, but the reality is when he calls you to follow him, you can't stay where you are, right? As Henry Blackaby well said, you know, in order to follow Jesus, you you can't stay where you are. You have to go with him. You have to leave behind who you were. You have to become a follower of Jesus. It's it's an all-in proposition. He needs to own it all, and he knew that this rich young man, that his money was really what he wasn't willing to give up. I love how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. How can I have eternal life? John chapter 3. Jesus said, you what must be born again. You must become a new creation. Just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. Following Jesus is an all-in proposition. And I love the parables that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. He says there was a a man who found a, a treasure in a field. He kind of stumbled upon it and he went and he what? He sold everything in order to buy the field so he could own the treasure. He didn't sell part of it. He sold all of it. And to make his point even further, he said there was a a man who was a pearl merchant, and he found a pearl of great price, and he went and what? Sold everything in order to own this pearl. And the pearl and the treasure are pictures of the kingdom, of knowing Jesus, of following Jesus. It's an all-in thing. Jesus, you own it all. I need to be ready to give you everything. Everything I have is yours. See, that's what was happening in Acts chapter 4. This community, this new, this brand new church, they're all getting together and saying, man, we love each other just as we love ourselves. We love Jesus with everything that we are. That's the picture that we just read about in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and following. It's this community, this, and we care for each other so much. You're more important than my land. You're more important than anything else I have because the community, the church, is what it's all about. There was a man named Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. I love that. Some of you have nicknames, and i 'm not going to share what John Amitangelo's is because it would be a little embarrassing, but good to see you, buddy. Uh, you're looking good. John has been sick. Glad you 're well, man. You look good. I mean, for you, for a man, you look fine. Um, but there's, you may have a, a nickname, and his nickname, he was known as being an encourager, so they called him the son of encouragement. And he sold his land, which, understand, for someone who was a Jew, who was uh, a son of Israel, that was a big deal. Why? Because land was the prom- part of the promise of God, wasn't it? You will get to the promised land. And Barnabas recognized that the promise of God was now going to be given through this church and not just through the land. He sold his land, brought the money to the church. I love the picture. So everything is hunky-dory, right? Everything is great. There is some pressure from the outside, but inside the church, everything looks great. Oh, but something's about to happen, isn't it? Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and this should encourage us, if you've ever met anybody in the church who wasn't real in a church in your history, this is going to give you some encouragement. It happened in the earliest church. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 says this, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet." Now, names in Scripture, they mean something, especially in Old Testament, somewhat in New Testament. In this case, we have a man named Ananias, and Ananias means the Lord is gracious. So the man is the Lord is gracious. It's a great name, isn't it? Would you I'd like, like to maybe change my name to the Lord is gracious. And the name Sapphira means mean greedy old lady no that's not what it means it means beautiful beautiful so the lord is gracious and his wife beautiful i mean they sound like a power couple in the church right I mean, this is the people you want to have over for dinner. You know, we had over, you know, the Lord is gracious and beautiful last night. It was an amazing evening, man. He, you know, Ananias taught me how to be gracious and he expressed the graciousness of the Lord. And Sapphira, the beautiful one, you know, she taught all the ladies how to be more beautiful. It was an amazing event. It was so great. I just, I just love the Lord is gracious and, and, and beautiful. I just love that couple. They're amazing. I like to be just like them. And sometimes I think we look at people and go, man, they seem really gracious. They're really good-looking, and we kind of just follow them blindly. Kind of look at them. They couldn't be hypocrites, could they? Surely not. And the Bible says that with his wife's knowledge, he held back some of the money. They sold a piece of property, and with her knowledge, they held back some of the money. Now, this isn't wrong, right? It's not wrong to sell a piece of property and bring part of the money to the church, and I would recommend that. And, you know, uh, First Baptist Delray Beach, you know, fpcdelray.com, go ahead and do that. That'd be great. But that's not what was happening here. What's happening is they had pledged the entire amount. The original language makes it clear in what, how Peter deals with them. It's clear that they pledged all of it, but they only gave part of it matter of fact, the Greek word here is the same word that the Greek Old Testament used to describe the act of Achan back in Joshua. You remember the story, the children of Israel are finally getting into the land, and it's really exciting. They, they go and they march around Jericho seven times, and, and the walls fall, and you know the song probably. If you don't, we can teach it to you. But there's, a, there's this incredible victory. But the Lord told the people, when you have this great victory, Don't take any of the spoil, any of the riches of the city for yourself. It belongs to me. It's a first fruits picture, right? The first fruits of our life should go to God. And he says, do this and uh, and you'll be blessed. And so they do almost, but there's a man named Achan. And Achan takes some riches from the city and he hides it in the floor of his house. And that same word for what Achan did is what Ananias and Sapphira did. That same word. It's a word that means to embezzle, to purloin, to steal. It cost Achan his life. And not only that, it cost his family their lives, his extended family. And it caused Israel to have a huge defeat in their next battle. So what we have here in Ananias and Sapphira in the Lord is gracious and beautiful, what they did was they stole something that they had committed to the Lord. They had made this commitment to him, and then they kind of pulled it back. They said, you know what, we, we can't really do that. You wonder what they were thinking? I don't know. What does any hypocrite think? Oh, you know what, we're going we're to even look more wonderful than we were before. Some people really, that's what they're all about. I, I want to come to church because I want to look and, and people think I'm really super godly. Maybe they thought they were going to get a position of power. Maybe they thought, you know what, this is how everybody does it. No one really gives everything they claim they're going to give. And they thought they were going to get away with it. They thought that the church wouldn't know, but did they think that God didn't know? Well, in the next section, we found out. Verse 3, And Peter said, Ananias, which is interesting because Peter knew his name, This was not just some nobody. This was somebody he knew. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? See, at some point, Ananias had begun listening to Satan. He'd begun hearing his voice and responding to it. You see, if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're not listening to God, I can guarantee you who you're listening to. You say, wait a minute, I'm a follower of Jesus. The whole, the, Satan can't get into my life. Satan can't possess me. We're really talking about possession here. We're talking about his influence. And it's very easy for someone who has been following Jesus to begin listening to the wrong voice. Now let that voice begin speaking into your ear. And it says something like this. You shouldn't give everything to Jesus. can't really trust Him with everything. You don't want to give Him all. You can't trust God. Remember, like in the garden, Satan said, you know, you, God. did God really say that? God's trying to hold something back from you. He doesn't want you to have good things. Those are all messages of the enemy. Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias, when the Lord is gracious, heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. You know when this happens, you kind of wonder, how did Peter know? How did Peter know? Well, two ways, really, the Holy Spirit could have whispered in his ear, "You know what, this guy's lying?" And some people have great discernment in that way. And God uses His prophets in that way. And you can kind of spot someone who's a hypocrite. You can kind of spot someone who's acting. You can kind of spot someone who's acting like they are more committed than they really are. Because that's really what's happening here. Ananias and Sapphira are trying to maybe control the situation. Maybe control God. Maybe buy off God. Peter says, why would you let this happen? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. You know, I suspect that someone whispered to Peter, hey, I actually was the one who bought the land. I actually am a part of the real estate business, and I know what the price of that value was. It's amazing how our sins find us out, isn't it? Peter probably didn't go investigating I believe that God brought it to him to say that these people are not telling the truth. It's interesting that Sapphira comes in separate from him and that Sapphira suffers the same death. Guys, let me just tell you, you have a responsibility to lead your home well. Other people suffer if you don't. You say, well, that could have been Sapphira, Sapphira's idea. You know, after all, she's a greedy old woman, right? No, that's, that, was, that was not a real thing. But it could have been her. She could have said, hey, we should do this. We can't trust God. It might have been. might have been, but Ananias is the one who's held responsible. Ananias is the one who needed to lead his family well and to say, listen, I hear you, but we need to follow Jesus. We need to be faithful. We don't need to be a hypocrite. Or it might have been that Sapphira said, let's don't do this, but Anna and Iris wanted to do it anyway, and she suffered as a result. You see, you suffer together as a couple. And guys, you've got to make sure good decisions are being made. You may not have the best ideas, but you've got to make sure good decisions, godly decisions are made in your home. That's what you're called to do as a man. She may, you say, well, you know what? She's way godlier than me. Well, praise the Lord for that you are going to make sure that your family stays on track. And Sapphira dies just like Ananias. See, what you do affects others as well. And great fear, verse 11, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. This is the only time that I know of in Scripture where a hypocrite dies suddenly. This is the only time that this happens in this way. And what's happening here is God wants us to know how Jesus feels about fake commitment or incomplete faith or hypocrisy acting. He sees it as deadly. You see, if that's where you are, you have a sense of death happening in your life. See, in the Garden of Eden, what happened? God said, listen, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And what happens? They eat of the tree. They don't ride away, but they do eventually die. Death begins then. So often in our lives, spiritually, we're dying of things that we've done, and we don't even realize it. When this happened, when these two people died as a result of their hypocrisy, great fear spread upon everyone, and they began to do inventory. Amen. I mean, aren't you glad that hypocrisy doesn't lead to death today? How many of us would be alive right now? You know, sometimes we make fun of hypocrisy and we say, you know what? Someone called me a hypocrite because I I sinned on the job and I told them, yeah, but I'm forgiven at least. All that's true. But inside the church and out in the world, we need to make sure that we're not acting. That whatever we've committed to Jesus, He still owns. Sometimes it's maybe like we take inventory. It's like when you finally clean out your garage after 20 years maybe. And you find in the corner of your garage a really nice Makita power tool. It's a really good tool. And you know that it belongs to Joe across the street. You borrowed it 15 years ago and you forgot to bring it back. What do you do with that? You just keep using it? Now you take it back to Joe, don't you? Joe, listen, I'm really sorry, but I've had this for a very long time. See, some of us today, we need to bring some stuff back that we've taken back from Jesus that we originally committed to Him. Let me tell you I think this happens. You, you may have had this experience. And you, you received the gift of salvation. It was wonderful. It was holy. Uh, you, you, you repented of your sins, and you asked Jesus to send his spirit into your life. You wanted to live for him. But then along the way, some stuff started to happen, and you began to pull some things back. Maybe you had a child, and you said, you know what? I'm so concerned about something that's going to happen to this child, and you just couldn't trust Jesus with them, and it just made you nervous all the time. Or maybe as you trusted Jesus, you had a sense that you know you needed to change out some of your closest friendships, right? You didn't want to leave them all, but you needed to get some better friends or friends who would influence you to follow Jesus. And and there was a voice in your head that said, I don't know about that. I don't know. That's the voice of the enemy. And then again you you felt like maybe I need to I need to adjust my lifestyle. I don't need to party as much. I don't need to be like that. I don't need to put myself at risk and dishonor Jesus in that way. And and you said, I need to I need to change the way I spend my time and the little voice in your head said, I don't know about that. That's the voice of the enemy. And then you started consider your business. You thought, you know, maybe my business needs to change. I need to use it for the glory of God. Or maybe I need to even change careers. I need to change paths. I need to change the way I'm going to college, where I'm going to do in the future, because I want to honor Jesus with my time. Or, or maybe He's even calling me to be a missionary or full-time service of following Jesus vocationally. Maybe that's what He's doing. And you, you start to think about that, and your little voice in your head says, I don't know about that. It's the voice of the enemy. See, the enemy never wants you to commit fully to Jesus. Once you're a follower of his, his goal is to get you partially in. He wants to dilute your commitment to him. And in doing so, he robs you of the joy of your salvation. And we start to build up stuff in our control that should be in the control of Jesus. Has that happened in your life? Has that happened in your life? One of the best ways to tell if it's happening is you consider what are you anxious about? What worries you? You say, man, if this happens, I don't know if I can handle it. If this happens, I don't know if I can handle it. If this happens, and you start when, that, when you start building those things up, you start taking things back from Jesus and saying, I don't trust you with my kids. I don't trust you with my future. I don't trust you with my time. I don't trust you with my health. I don't trust you with my business. And we begin to die inside. Oh, but there's good news. Because you can take inventory of your heart just like you took inventory of your garage. So Jesus, what is it that I'm anxious about I need to give back to you. I committed my life to you, but I've taken some stuff back because I can tell I'm worried about it. And it's true for so many, if not all of us. Because we're dying inside when there should be life. When there should be joy. When there should be peace. When there should be an amazing life of following Jesus. We need to take inventory and repent of the things we've taken back off the table. Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm bringing it. And in just a few minutes, when we receive the Lord's Supper, this is for those of you who have received the gift of salvation. You have been baptized. You're saying, I want to express to Jesus that I'm all in. When that happens, I would encourage you as you come to get your elements to leave the things you've taken from Jesus at the altar. Make that movement a form of saying, Jesus, I, I give my kids back to you. I give my finances back to You. I'm going to trust You with that. I give my health back to You. I give my future back to You. I give my business back to You. Lord, I'm going to trust You with the next days. Even though there's things I'm worried about, I'm going to trust You with that. The burden that you could relieve from your life right now could absolutely change your entire life. You could know the joy of your salvation again. You can know what it's like to trust Jesus with absolutely everything because doesn't He own it all? These have been anxious times. These have been anxious times. It's a constant reminder, God, I need to trust You with all I have. I need to trust You with all of it. I don't need to be nervous and anxious. I need to be faithful to the assignments You've given me, but I need to trust You. Because if I... Believe you are who I say you are. You're absolutely reliable. Because I could trust you enough to come and die for my sin. And that's what this time is all about. So Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray through some things. The first thing that comes to mind when I ask you, what are you anxious about? That's the thing he wants you to leave at the altar today. I'm going to pray and after I do, I'm going to invite you as you feel ready to come to the altar to leave those things there. Pray that prayer on your way. Take the elements, return to your seat and wait and we'll all receive them together. So I'm going to pray. We're going to come, receive the elements and then return to your seat and we'll take them all together after we sing. Would you bow with me right now? Let's examine our hearts.